Chapter Fifteen of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Barron's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: Diversions in Amiens, Hotel du Rhin, An Extended Inspection Tour, Birthplace of Old Bill. For many, many weeks this job went on, full of a variety of small incidents, good, bad, and indifferent. I got to know my work and continued to persevere with life in that peculiar resigned but optimistically determined fashion which is common to all the component parts of the Allied armies in the field. I liked the job. I liked those I lived with and those I met. Now and again we went into Amiens, and this was always a great event for us. Something like market day to a farmer, who lives a crowded rural life ten miles from a station, and drives a consumptive horse in once a week to the nearest apology for a town. Whenever the colonel had to visit a railhead near Amiens, he went there either before or after his inspection. And you can bet I was always on for being in that expedition. I am glad I saw Amiens in those days, because I saw it afterwards, and I can feel for the inhabitants in that terrible trial which befell the city during the last big dying flicker of the Prussian push. Amiens was about fifteen miles from our headquarters, but it was well worth the trouble of getting there. Montrelet was very nice and picturesque, and all that, but I confess I like a bit of crowded humanity and sparkle now and again. Not that one got much in Amiens, but still it was better than nothing. We used to go there after a devastating and dry visit to Long O, or Haley, or some miserable oasis nearby. The great thing was to lunch somewhere. If anybody ever reads this book, he is almost sure to have a gladiator relation or friend who has been to Amiens, and has had lunch at one of the restaurants, or at the Hotel du Rhin. All my pals seem to have drifted into the Hotel du Rhin. In fact, if I come across an old sport who knows the front, I succinctly murmur something about the Hotel du Rhin and it at once conveys visions to his feverish mind of the gladdest nights that were then permissible. How many, many of those wonderful, courageous chaps have wandered into Amiens, and had what was to them the best of fun, a lunch in Amiens, and then gone back to their squadron, battalion, or platoon, never to return. The buccaneering romance of this is enormous, and sad. Well, anyway, we used to go to Amiens, and in a crowded, frowsy restaurant down one of the main streets we would lunch and revel in the joys of fried fish, mysterious meat, and red wine. It was a dear old town, and to see the cathedral with a pyramid of sandbags at the front door makes one very annoyed at these perpendicular-haired gentlemen who have elected to disturb the world so violently. And so the weeks went on. Work and travel, evenings full of war gossip and rumors of great events to come, now and again punctuated by these visits to Amiens. I went on with it all but slowly and bit by bit. The whole environment was reducing me to a very low ebb. Those who read may wonder why, and possibly those who read may never understand. But to me the sum total of the idea and real horrible reality of this terrible elementary and brutal war was burning a hole into my mind and system which time could never heal. Somehow, when I sat in that dreadful death-charged mud, I felt it less. But here, outside and behind it, I got a clear perspective of the frightfulness of the thing. 
It's not the actual danger or the death and sorrow. It's the idea of this drastic antagonism of humanity separated by merely national aims. But why should I bore wound people with these thoughts of mine? I will return to the real great and inspiring idea of war. Bright uniforms, heroic victories, medals and cheering multitudes. I write these lines as our mighty and wonderful nation with the assistance of others has just reached the glorious and hard-fought conclusion which was vitally necessary. I have only digressed for a few moments in order not to forget the amazing wonder of those simple valorous souls who, as component parts, did things the greatness of which few realize and none can grasp. Things which in their country and home-loving way, although submerged owing to their smallness, are mightier than the war itself. There came a time at Montrelet when it became necessary for the colonel to wander further afield. There was a tendency for journeys to be taken north of Doulon. I welcomed this and was still further elated when one morning he announced he had to go right up north. To Ypres, in fact. This was splendid. I was more than keen to see once more the old stomping ground. Armentieres, Baloil, Locre, and Ypres. They were all places with a big fascination for me. The day came when we started. The colonel, the driver, and myself slid off in a large car and soon were rolling along the winding dusty road from Montrelet. It's a great game being able to go about the front in a car. You can loll back amongst the upholstery and calmly survey the ruins as they flash past you, now and again having the satisfaction of being accidentally mistaken for a general as some dust-covered pedestrian catches sight of you as you flit past. When one really has acquired that limousine lol, it's a great sensation. Beats sitting in a frozen dugout with stand-to at 4 a.m. beats it hollow. We went through a vast mass of dull blackened country and wound our way over the cobbled streets of innumerable small towns and villages, now and again stopping to try and reconcile an unintelligible signpost with the road on our map or listening to the still more unintelligible explanations and directions of some Frenchman, from whom in a weak moment we had asked the way. Anyway, on we went and bit by bit approached that mystic and romantic area known as the Ypres-Armentieres sector. As I began to recognize the once familiar landmarks, the whole of the old-time war atmosphere came back with clear vigor. Here were the roads I knew so well, the broken houses, shelled-out woods, etc., here was the land of bullets and billets, that weird country which holds in its keeping a certain dank and mysterious horror, Plug Street Wood, the birthplace of Old Bill. End of section 15. Recording by Philip Gould.